I heard a story of a man named Joe. Uh, Joe, Joe was a drunk. Uh, Joe had gotten the reputation around town as uh, the town drunk, and uh, he he was just known for that. But through a local support mission for people struggling in addiction, Joe had come to know Jesus and left his life of addiction. Now Joe's life was nothing like it once used to be. He became known as one of the most caring people uh, that anybody ever knew. Uh, and he began to pour back that uh, love onto others um, through the same ministry that had helped him to come to know Jesus. And Joe spent his days and his nights um, hanging out at this, this mission uh, for addicts. And uh, he recognized uh, that he, uh, he didn't care what he was doing. He always had this smile on his face. There was no task too lowly for Joe to take on, whether it was cleaning up the vomit from some violently uh, sick alcoholic or scrubbing out the toilets uh, from some careless drunk man that couldn't hit the mark. Joe was known for the smile on his face. Joe would care for the feeble man who wandered in off the street late in the evening, hung over from a night of wild living, and graciously help him find a place to sleep and care for his needs. One evening, the director of the local mission was uh, sharing a, a, a message with the otherwise lifeless crowd. Um, he, he shared this message as these uh, men who were uh, coming out of their, their hangover um, sat in uh, slumped heads, really just looking for a meal that was promised to them after the message. But something struck a chord with one of the men in the room. Suddenly, this repentant drunk knelt to the floor, and he began to pray out loud. God, he said, oh God, would you just make me like Joe? Make me like Joe, he screamed. Now the director walked over, he leaned in to the man, and he said, son, I think it'd be better if you prayed, make me like Jesus. Then the man looked up at the director, a puzzled face, and, and asked, is Jesus like Joe? You see, Joe was not known as the Bible-thumping goody-two-shoes. Joe was known as the man that would do anything for somebody else. Joe's life modeled the servanthood of Jesus Christ. Joe knew what it was like to be lost in addiction. He had been there himself, and now he was helping others with the same type of struggle. As Philippians 2 says, he had the very same attitude of Christ, considering others better than himself. He was modeling Jesus to these people. As the book of Ephesians puts it, I think Joe understood this well. All of us us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. You see, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Now today, we're going to continue in our series, Diving Deeper, by looking at a letter written to a young minister in the faith, Timothy. It's actually written to, to the same uh, place and town of the book of Ephesians, uh, uh, the town of Ephesus. Uh, remember, we've, we've shared a little bit about Ephesus. It was a place known for its corruption in the culture, a town and a city known for its commerce and trade. Um, But the largest building in the city of Ephesus um, was a temple to the worship of the goddess Artemis. Um, She was a fertility goddess. Matt um, shared that with us the first week of our series. Now, the common temple practice was for a man to come and to worship by sleeping with the temple prostitute. And that day, that was how he was to worship the goddess. And Paul had come to this town 
He had shared truth. He had shared the gospel. He had helped to establish a church. But Paul has run off, and now the town is left, and the church is left without uh, some solid leadership. So instead, now he sends Timothy, um, and he instructs Timothy um, with some, some great things. We talked about a little bit last week about how to watch out for false, false teachers. We're reminded of who Jesus is, who we are, and what we should do with that. Now, Paul continue, continues with similar talk to Timothy this morning. We're going to be in chapter 4, um, starting in verse 11 this morning. If you'd like to turn over there with me, um, you can. It says this, um, reading from verse 11 on into verse 12. It says, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example. Why Paul was, was clearly pointing people to Jesus He had never strayed away from the idea of being the example for others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. Now that wasn't something that was braggadocious. Uh, Paul would be the first to admit his sinfulness and his need for Christ as a Savior. Uh, Paul would, would be the, the first to say, you know what, I was once lost. And actually one scripture he goes to, to the means to say, I'm the worst of sinners. But Paul was also confident in his faith in Jesus Christ, and he was confident in his actions and his speech that pointed others to Jesus as well. So confident that many times throughout his letters written in the New Testament for us today, that he, he says, would you just model after my example? It goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, in verse 1, saying, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now let's be careful to say that that Paul was not advocating himself as the Savior with all the answers, nor for Timothy to do this. That would make neither of them any different than the false teachers who had this agenda and said it was about me rather than, than Christ. However, he was advocating that his life was a model of what the Christ uh, follower should look like, to follow in faith and action. And he challenged Timothy and now us today to do the same. It was also mentioned that Timothy was not to let... Um, People looked down on him because he was young. Now, Paul had met Timothy in the town of Lystria on some of his uh, missionary journeys. Um, he, he had met uh, Timothy and his, actually his mother and uh, grandmother had some great faith. Uh, Timothy's mother was a, a Jewish in background. Uh, his father was Greek, uh, which I, I find interesting um, because that, mean that, that meant that Timothy knew some cultural diversity um, and, and now he's placed in this town of Ephesus, um, this place, and, and this is a very culturally diverse place. So he'd grown up with some diversity, um, and now he has a greater ministry, I think, because of that. But while passing through Lystra, Paul finds Timothy. He hears a lot of good things about Timothy, and he says, you know what, I want you to come with me. Would you come with me on my, my journeys? Now, he's left Timothy in Ephesus here, but this is some 12 or 15 years later. So Timothy's not so young anymore. Um, he's probably actually in his, his mid-30s, late-30s, we believe. But in relation to Paul, who was in his 60s, Paul saw him as the young guy, right? It's like this. Youthfulness is relevant to, to who you're in relationship with. I laughed with a, a small group of older adults in our congregation a while back as 
One who was in her early 60s um, just gave this, this gal who was in her, her late 70s a hard time about being the old person of the group, right? It's just this case like, hey, if you, you're feeling old today, just go find some older people and become friends with them. Then you'll feel younger, all right? You know, it's that easy. Now, Paul knew Timothy was struggling, though. And in all seriousness, he understood that, that his, uh, his age um, was that less of the, probably the other leaders in that place. And he also understood the personality of the, the leaders of that place as well and had gotten some word back that Timothy was having some trouble there and was struggling um, with setting the example and that type of thing. He said, you know what, Timothy, would you just not let him look down on you? But you can set an example in how you're living your life for Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, um, Paul puts it like this in this understanding of modeling Christ. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now the term model, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, can be defined in four different ways. Um, it can be defined as a particular design or version of a product, a three-dimensional representation of a person or thing, a system of, uh, or thing used as an example to follow or imitate, and then the final one, a person employed to display clothing by wearing it. Interesting enough, I believe what Paul laid out to Timothy in this idea of model uh, encapsulates all four of those definitions of the term model. When it came to Timothy, he was a young guy. In a sense, he was the, the youthful version of Paul. Timothy had uh, the ability to connect with, with people that Paul might have not been able to. And there was just a natural ability because of that. But whether we are young or old, we all have influence. We all can do great good for the cause of Christ. But just the same, we can have a negative influence for the cause of Christ. So, so, so this morning, what, what does your model look like? And what does the model of those that you trust in, the people that you look up to in the faith, what, what does theirs look like? It goes two ways, right? You have influence, and you are called to set an example and to model for others, but, but we also have people that influence us. So how can we tell what the proper model of Christ looks like? Or if you're in this room this morning and you're saying, you know what, I'm not sure about this, this Jesus figure, I, I've never really come to know him the way some of the people in this room that sit around me talk about him. And you're saying, I don't know what it's like to be a follower of Christ. But you see people that are doing that, and you're wondering, is that the right way to do it? Well, you can ask these questions of them, and you can look at their life like this. And the first question we can ask is this, do they model it with life? Now, model can be defined, right, that, that second definition, a three-dimensional representation of a person or thing. So what does the three-dimensional life of a Jesus follower look like? Paul told Timothy, as he continued on in verse 12 of our passage this morning, it says this, But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So what does your life represent? The term life has been uh, uh, thought of in all kinds of different ways. Forrest Grump said it like this, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? Uh, and some people are like, yeah, I know. Uh, when I look at some people's lives, I'm like, I never know what I'm going to get with them, right? They're, they're a little wild. Uh, and then there's, there's Audrey Hepburn. Um, she said, the most important thing is to enjoy your life, to be happy. Eh, it's all that matters. Wow. I mean, there are some people in our, our influences, I'm sure, that live that way. It's all about uh, self. It's all about being happy. Uh, and they could care darn about, hey, about anybody else. Uh, 
Then there's the famous counselor, Lucy, from the Peanuts gang, who said it like this. Life is like a deck chair. Some place it to see where they've been, and some so they can see where they are at in the present. To which Charlie Brown responds, I can't even get mine unfolded. Right? And then there's Jackie Robinson. I, I like how he put it. Life is not important except in the impact it has on others. Sounds a little bit like what Jesus said. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Or as Paul said it, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, our life in Christ is a life that points others to Christ. We should model and represent that in all aspects. And the first it was said was in our speech. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is speaking. This is a paraphrase from the message. It says this, It's your heart, not the dictionary that gives meaning to your words. A good person produces good deeds and words season after season. An evil person is a blight is a blight on the orchard. Let me tell you something. Every one of those careless words is going to come back and haunt you. There'll be, times of rec- there'll be a time of reckoning. You see, words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation, and words can be your damnation. Wow. I mean, that says it pretty, pretty plainly. Our speech can have powerful influence on people around us. I'll never forget, I had a high school football coach. His name was Tom Allen. Uh, coach Allen was a, a great man uh, of God, and he had a great influence on my life at a huge public high school um, for the cause of Christ. And I remember most of all, coaches uh, desire to keep his words clean, and he, he, uh, he did that from, from others, which sometimes in the coaching world is, is uh, hard to do. And if you were caught cursing around coach, you were going to be down doing push-ups. He was going to make you do that. But I, I, I remember this situation, and we were in the locker room, and he was getting upset at one of the, a couple of guys who were slacking off in the weight room, and he started, you know, trying to fire him up, and he, he said a word he shouldn't have said. He should have seen all the eyes quickly turn to him. And, and then suddenly, before anybody could say anything, coach was down on the floor doing, doing his push-ups because he recognized, man, my words have influence, and I need to show them that I, I make mistakes, but I hold myself to the same high standard. Your words have influence. They can destroy your example for Christ. Just a few destructive words can deteriorate how people see you and the cause for Christ. But you can have a huge positive influence with your words. Actually, studies show that words of affirmation can literally make people more successful and can make others more physically healthy by hearing positive words of encouragement from people like you. So if someone was to hear your words, what would they say you model to them? But then he goes on, he says, in conduct, right? It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, it's clear, right? We, some people say it, actions speak louder than words. Just like a man who tells his wife, you know what, I, I, I love you, or his significant other, I love you, but then in anger or in frustration or under the influence of some sort of substance, he hits or abuses his wife. Well, his actions are speaking louder than his words in that moment, right? And his actions are showing that I don't really love you, even though his words just maybe hours later said that he did, right? How we treat others is huge. So maybe it's how you treat your overbearing boss, Or maybe it's how you treat your ailing loved one. Or maybe it's how you take care of the next door neighbor. Or maybe it's just in the interactions that you have on a daily basis with your spouse or your children or your coworkers. 
You see, you might just be the only Christ that somebody sees throughout the week. So what does your life show them? But it goes on, it says, in your love. Now, John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no end than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. That's the heart of the gospel message, right? Self-sacrificing type of love. And that's the type of love that's spoken of here. It's very clear that that's the type of love that saved us through Jesus, and that's the type of love that's going to influence others for the same cause, for Christ. Then he says, in your faith... Now, faith here isn't um, necessarily talking about your belief. Um, There's a difference there. Instead, it's talking about your faithfulness to your faith or your unswerving commitment to who Jesus is in your life. As 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says, a person should consider us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of God's mysteries in this regard. It is expected of managers that each one of them be found faithful. So we've been entrusted with something, right? We have a hope where there is no hope. We have faith where others may struggle to see anything of, of joy in their life. And our faithfulness in the good times, when things are going well in our lives, and in the difficult times, when things are going rough, when, when the bills are coming in, or when medically we're not doing well, or when we've lost a loved one, or when we've walked through these, these difficult journeys, when we are faithful to our faith, we have a huge, huge example that we are setting and modeling for others. And then finally he says, in your, your purity. Now, it's important that he says this to Timothy, right? We, we talked a little bit this morning about the idea of this place that was just uh, rampant with sexual sin. And here he is, he says, you, know, you, you need to stay pure. You know, sexual sin can be one of the most powerfully destructive things to the gospel. It's seen when a minister is caught in an affair and the church just crumbles from the inside out. The language from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says it so well. Run from sexual sin. Just run from it. Get away from it. Flee from it. Well, I want to be clear that we are saved by grace and grace alone, and you, you're not going to outrun the grace of God. We also can't continue to set up uh, ourselves in a place to sin. So set up for yourself instead accountability. Have people that are close to you, who know you, who are following Christ as well, that are willing to ask you the tough questions. You know, for some of you, um, you, you need to make sure that you begin to ingest this word more, more deeply into your life, and you need to hold it uh, closely so that when the sins and the temptations um, begin to be thrown at you, that you're able to combat them with the word of God. Some of you need to place boundaries on some things, like maybe you need to get rid of your cable and your internet that come into your house because they're just becoming a distraction to you. Or you need to place the family computer, you need to place it in the family room or the living room of the home just so it won't become a distraction in the small computer room that's off in the the distance. Or maybe you need to steer clear of some friendships or a relationship with, with somebody else because it's so destructive in the nature of sexual sin. I had a man in our congregation that uh, recently told me that a few months ago his cell phone had become a huge distraction to him and, and was just constantly uh, bombarding him with, with struggles, whether it was with his time or his purity in his eyes. And he said, he said Evan, you know what? I was, I was driving home from work that day and I was passing the river and I rolled my window down and I chucked that phone out the window into the river. I thought, dude, that is awesome. <laughs> you know, he said, I'm getting a phone that doesn't have all those capabilities anymore. I can call people and I can text, but that's all I'm going to do with this phone anymore because, because I, can't, I can't continue to have that struggle in my life. He was saying, purity is worth the battle, and I'm going to battle against it. 
You see, we should uh, be a representation of Jesus in our life because people look at us and they want to know, are they really following Christ? And when we can give them that example, man, the impact that has for Jesus is huge. But then we have to ask the question, what, does the, what model is used for ministry? Right, The term model was also able to be defined as a system of things used as an example to follow or imitate. So where do we get the model? Where do we get the system? Where do we get the thing that we're called to imitate? What does the roadmap look like that Christ followers are called to live after? Well, here's your roadmap, right? The Word of God is the roadmap. It goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 of our passage this morning saying this. It says, Until I come, would you just devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, uh, to preaching and, and to teaching? You see, there was a, a high level of importance placed on, on the preaching, the, the, the teaching, and the reading of the Word. Now, the reading specifically in that day was extremely, extremely important. Because unlike uh, us today who have our, the ability to have the Bible at our fingertips, uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, you can grab one uh, under the seats and take that home with you. But it, we, we have the access to the Scriptures like no others, right? We can get on our phones and look up the Word. We can hear it read to us um, through all kinds of different devices. But in that day, they didn't have that capability. So, so the reading of the Scripture was something that would happen in every uh, act of worship. Every time that the people met together, somebody would stand up and they would publicly read out the Scripture. The same, though, should be true of us today. We hope that the Word of God is being proclaimed on Sunday mornings and being read and, and read over you guys, but we also hope that you're taking it home with you since we have access to it, that you're reading it uh, consistently throughout the weeks. Now, it goes on to say in the preaching, too. That there's a challenge of applying the truths of Scripture. You know, Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Right? It's not like the one who heard it and then just kind of went on. It's like the one who heard it and put it into the practice. And our hope is that on Sunday mornings, we begin to help you apply the Word of God to your life. And that through things like the, the back of the opportunities card, right now it's called Growing Further, that you're taking those home. And that you're digging a little deeper and you're beginning to apply the Scripture to your life. And then he says in, your, in the teaching. Now the term teaching is actually mentioned 15 times in the pastoral epistles. This is a different type of terminology. This is a very intellectual type of study of the word. Uh, it, it involves this systematic explanation of what God's word meant. And there needs to be study of the word of God. And that can happen in our Bible fellowship classes. That can happen deeper in our small group opportunities. That can happen uh, inside of women's Bible studies and other um, settings like that. Where we are digging a little deeper. We're getting to know the Word of God uh, on a more whole basis in our life. Jody Crum was my fourth grade Sunday school teacher. And I remember Jody uh, very, very well, but I don't remember what she taught me in Sunday school class. I know that sounds kind of mean, um, but I really don't. I remember what I remember most about Jody was where she sat in our service. She sat in the back right section, um, second row to the back with her husband, Dick. And I just remember so vividly um, that because she was always there in that same spot to hear the word of God. And as I grew up and got into junior high and high school, she always would uh, find a point to grab me after service as she was walking out of her place and, and tell me some, something, encourage me, tell me that she was praying for me. But I saw it as uh, something that was so important to her that she was ingesting the word of God herself. As John MacArthur said, Scripture is the material which an excellent minister builds his ministry. 
So she, she had set the high importance on the word herself and in ta- intaking of that word. Right? We, we have the perfect model for us in the scripture. And, and many of you in this room are people that uh, love to serve. That's one thing that I am just flabbergasted by quite often, that, man, you guys are quick to jump when we, we bring out opportunities. We had all kinds of people volunteer for our VBS just recently. We have people that are constantly uh, asking if they can help serve on, like, traffic teams or opening doors or helping to check in children or, or to be a part of the children's ministry on a Sunday morning. But let me remind you this, that, that if you're missing out uh, on this time together uh, in corporate worship and the preaching and teaching of the word um, so that you can volunteer, um, would you take a step back and think about that? Would you make sure that you, you head in early and come to the first service if you're serving in the second or, or stay late and go to the third if you're, you're doing that? Make the, the time together, uh, the preaching of the word, uh, important to your life because you can't pour out unless you've been poured into, Right? Unless somebody's poured your cup out and you've been able to fill out on others, if you're, you go in empty-handed, you, you're not been filled up with the Word of God yourself, it's hard to, to pour it back out on others. As Jesus said, and said it, man, uh, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So anyone who is to set the example should model it with their life and model it with the Word of God. But there's one other question to ask. Does the model use gifts? One of the final definitions of that term model is a person employed to display clothing by wearing them. Now, I'm not calling you to be supermodels, although I know my wife could be a supermodel. Um, But I am saying this, um, that our beauty, uh, uh, not necessarily in physical things, but the beauty of a, uh, let's say this, uh, the beauty of a supermodel, um, maybe it's their smile or their body shape or their hands or their eyes, they use those type of attributes to in turn make people want something. And we have been given beautiful attributes as well. We call them spiritual gifts in the scripture, often referring us to to how God has gifted us for certain ministry. In 1 Timothy, in our passage this morning, in verse 14, it says to Timothy, Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through the prophecy when the, the body of elders laid their hands on you. You see, Timothy had been given a specific gift, as it's actually termed charisma in the Greek, um, a, a gracious gift from God. This would have helped him in his ministry. Now, we're not given specific details to what Timothy's gift was, but we know he struggled to use it because Paul continues to talk to him about uh, making sure it's important. He, he actually talks about it in the second letter in 2 Timothy. Uh, he, he tells him, I want to remind you to fan into flames the gift of God. And then he goes on to, to talk about this idea that God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So maybe, maybe just maybe, the neglected gift of Timothy was that of a newness of courage uh, or a confidence and a boldness in his faith. Whatever the case, uh, Timothy was neglecting his gift. He wasn't setting the example in that idea. And, and Paul says, you need to start using that gift. You need to use that to model Christ to others. I love the story in the book of Acts. It's the story of Peter uh, and John. These are two of Jesus' closest followers. Now, Jesus has, has uh, ascended into heaven, and he's left these people there to, to sh- preach and share the good news of Jesus with others. And, and Peter and John, uh, just three years earlier, they're just ordinary men. Right? They're fishermen. Uh, a common task of that day may have even been looked down on as a lowly task of that day. 
Um, but now all of a sudden, they are, uh, they're teaching people. They're doing courageous things. They're performing miracles. Um, and I love the response of the intellectuals of that day, the teachers of the law. They say this in Acts chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, I think you could say it like this, they realized that they were dumb guys. Um, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. While the nature of Timothy's gift is not defined, it was without question a supernatural endowment, just the same as we have been given those type of gifts. And if you're questioning it, like, I'm not sure, I don't think I've gotten a gift like that, Evan. Know this, if you are a Christ follower, if you have given your life over to the Lord and you are following Christ, you have a gift to be used for the cause of Christ. It says it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts He alone decides which gift each person should have. So if you're a follower of Christ, you've been given a gift, an attribute of God to model to others um, who Jesus is. You know, for some of you, I know it's this. It's that you have a natural ease of how to communicate with people, maybe even specifically people that that aren't in the church, people that aren't followers of Christ. And you just have this, this way of communicating to building friendships and they, they like you and they connect with you and that's your way to influence them. For some of you, um, you've had a freedom from addiction. You were once lost in it yourself, but, but through a renewing of your mind, you have come to know what is most important in life. And now because of that, you have the ability to connect with other addicts like, like I can't because God has given you that in your part of ministry. Some of you have a soft heart for the people that are ill and hurting and struggling. Some of you have a mind that understands the difficult questions. Um, You're an intellectual uh, of the scripture, and you have the ability to help other people come to understand that. You need to use that gift. You see, I can't tell you what your gift is, but I can tell you that you have been given some sort of gift, some sort of attribute that is meant to be used to model Jesus to others. And by doing these things, by modeling Christ with our lives, by using the word as our model, and by being a model that shows Jesus to others with our gifts, we get to point people to Christ and to a relationship with him. As the passage concludes this morning in verses 15 and 16, it says this, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So what would be said of your model of Christ? Alfred Noble, you may have heard this story before. Alfred Noble invented the the modern-day dynamite. He spent a lifetime amassing a fortune uh, from the manufacture and sale of weapons and and other defense um, Things. And one morning, Noble awoke, and he had gotten word that he had died. Literally, he awoke up, and the newspaper said that Alfred Noble had died. And so here he was. He sat and listened and, and, and read his own obituary in the newspaper. Somebody had gotten false word that he had died and had written his obituary. And what Alfred Noble read that morning um, took him back to a place that he, he didn't want to be remembered You see, the world had saw him as the dynamite king. They had saw him as the weapons maker, the great industrialist who had uh, amassed this huge fortune because of explosives. 
As far as the public was concerned, that was the entire purpose of his life. So as he read that obituary, he said, I've got to change something. This is not what I want to be remembered as. So he decided in his death to leave a large, large, large sum of money to establish what we now know as the Nobel Peace Prize today um, to give away to somebody that was doing great good for the cause of peace and not the cause of, of war. He wanted to model something different. We are called to model something to others. And that's Jesus Christ. As Paul said it in in 1 Corinthians 9, to the weak, man, I became weak. That I might win the weak. You see, I've become all things to all people that by all means some might be saved. That my life, I want people to come and see me and to say, man, I want what he has. And he has something that I don't. And I want that. And I want to follow him as he follows Christ. So maybe this morning you're saying, you know what, I just need to take the first step. I need to to start that model. Uh, And and I need to um, do what Christ did first and be be baptized to give my life over in in, in baptism to bury my old ways and be raised to walk a new life, a life that is modeling Christ. Or maybe for some of you, you're just saying, you know what, I need to repent of some things that I've been doing lately. Um, some ways that I've been living, maybe your speech has gotten a little uh, loose. Uh, maybe the conduct, the things you've been, how you've been treating others. Uh, maybe it's in your love or your, your faith. Maybe it's in your purity. You've been struggling with that sinfulness in your life. And the temptation has gotten really rough and you need to set up some boundaries. But this morning you're saying, you know what? I, I just want to come to the Lord. I want to renew my, my commitment to him. I want to I be prayed over. I want somebody to pray with me. I want to encourage you to do that in just a moment.